All right. All right, guys. Are you guys ready to hear from Hunter Bruce? No, no, you're not ready to hear from Hunter Bruce. Are you guys ready to hear from Hunter Bruce? Are you guys ready to hear from Hunter Bruce? All right, let me pray for you guys, and then the man, the myth, the legend, Hunter Bruce, will come up here and give us the word. All right, let's pray. Dearly Father, I just thank you for who you are, God. I thank you that uh, you brought uh, students here today, Lord. I thank you for Hunter bringing the message, Lord. I thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you for his love for these students, God. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Yo, what up, what up, what up? Y'all good? Y'all good? What's up, what's up? Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is your first time here. Welcome. My name is Hunter Bruce. I am the student ministry associate here at Cross Life, working with the middle school, and I'm loving every second of it, all right? And like Tommy said, hey, cut it out, all right? Hey, like Tommy said, you know, if you're here, you're welcome, all right? We're excited to have you here, and God allowed you to be here for a reason, all right? He wants you here for a reason because he has something that he wants you to learn today. But today we are in week three of our series called Anchored. Now, we've been going through biblical doctrine. You know, last week we talked about God's nature and his character and that how important the nature and uh, the most important characteristic that he has is love, his love for us. And that love, should see, people should see that love through us, and we need to spread that love to everyone else. Okay, understood? Capiche? Okay, good, good, good. But today we're going to be talking about the doctrine of man. Now, you're probably like, Hunter, like, what do you mean by that? Now, in Genesis 1, 26, it talks about being made in the image of God. Oh, excuse me. But what does that mean? You know, we hear that phrasing sometimes when we read through Genesis, but what does it truly mean to be made in the image of God? Now, that wording can be a bit confusing, but through this next couple minutes, we're going to go through it, we're going to break it down together, and we're going to understand. I'm going to help you guys understand it a little bit, all right? So the two most secular worldviews for the image of man are built on two false premises of man. Now, Hunter, what do you mean? Now, the first, the first uh, view is this. Man is an evolved and not a created being. No different in origin and nature than your single-celled organism. We are nothing special than any other living thing that can eventually achieve a higher level of complexity given enough time. The second view is this. Man is inherently good and can achieve a higher state of being from his intellect, his reasoning abilities, and from his sheer power alone, which is called humanism in today's day and age. But on the contrary, these are the two Christian worldviews of, of man. The first one is this. From God's word, we know that a man is not only, being, is not only a created being, but is the pinnacle of God's creation because he is created in God's image. The second is this. From God's word, mankind is not inherently good, but inherently evil. And when left on its own, he will hurt and will potentially even kill his fellow man at any given opportunity. You're probably like, Hunter, like, that's crazy. But to prove this, you can look at the track record of many different uh, godless ideologies. For example, you guys heard of communism? You guys heard of that? You might be learning about that in history. You learned about it before. All right, you guys heard of fascism? You know, those two ideologies have killed millions and millions of people all the time. 
So that justifies the fact that the Christian worldview says that, that uh, we will potentially even kill our fellow man at any given opportunity. Now, you might know a guy, Hitler, most known fascism or fascist of all time, right? His fascism killed 17 to 20 million people. And 6.2 million of them were Jewish. Now, the thing with Hitler is that he believed in this ideology of evolution. And evolution almost is degrading people, right? He felt, he felt that Jewish people were so unevolved that he, they needed to be degraded and eradicated from the planet. Now, we can sit here all day and talk about different ideologies and different, you know, thoughts about, you know, humanism and, you know, all these other things on man. But today we're going to be talking about what the Bible says on man, right? So in Genesis 2-7, it says, man is a created being. Meaning, since we're created, it means that we were designed. And that man is not the result of random chance or evolution. You see, the thing with evolution is that its viewpoint is that the origin of man in life itself was a mistake. It was an accident. And if this is so, then nothing matters. Morality doesn't matter. What's good or bad doesn't matter. What's right or wrong doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And this theory of evolution that they're teaching you in school is basically low-key trying to tell you that since nothing matters, then you don't matter. That's part of the reason depression and anxiety and suicide rates were so high at the time. But you have to understand that the creation of man was ordained by God. And also that God is purposefully and personally involved in the creation of man. But the million-dollar question is, why did God create man? Here's some scripture for you. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So where we were created to glorify him, to demonstrate the greatness of his character, to serve him, and to serve each other. You see, we also have to understand that God didn't just create mankind and then just walk away, right? He wasn't just like, here, here's some food, some water, here's uh, whatever, here's all this stuff, and I'm out. You know, go ahead, do your thing, wall out. No, like that's not what God did. Matthew 10, 29-31, it says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God cares about you. 
He cares about you so much that he's numbered the hairs on your head. We're also creating God's moral image. I wonder what he means. Meaning that since we are morally accountable for our actions, you know, we have an inner sense of what's right and what's wrong. And this sets us apart from animals. See, animals, they just respond to punishment or hope of a reward. But C.S. Lewis, great author, he calls this a moral oughtness, meaning that we should know what to do and what we should not do. You see, out of all God's creation, man alone was given a choice to obey or disobey the voice of God. You see, all other animals, they live by instinct. They don't have to process or they don't have, to, they don't have the ability to reason and rationalize uh, with morals just like man does. You see, dogs don't sit around or animals don't sit around and have deep inherent thoughts. You know, they don't sit around and argue and talk about the character of God and deep theology. Like, they don't have the ability to do that like we do. Only man was given this ability. And in this, we bear the image of God who himself is the personification of righteousness, justice, and moral uprightness. You see, our likeness to him is revealed through our behavior when it is righteous. And our unlikeness is revealed through us when we sin. You see, we are created to be persons. Let me break that down to you. That means that each and every one of us in this room have a unique set of individual personalities. And we're created to have intimate relationships with others. You know, in Scripture, we study, we study that God is expressed in three persons. You know, God, uh, or not, I'm sorry, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each can be known and can know others. We were created to be eternal, eternal beings. Not the superheroes, all right? The eternal beings. See, the Bible tells us that God has put eternity on our hearts. You know, in the New Testament, we read that resurrection will be raised to eternal life and others to eternal retribution. And this speaks to the eternal nature of man. Each and every one of us is made up of body, soul, and spirit. See, animals, they have body and spirit and the spirit of life, but they do not have eternal souls. And out of all God's creation, only man was given an eternal soul. It's this element that imprints us with the image of God because he himself is eternal. And because of this, God created us to rule. You guys know about Adam and Eve, right? No, they, they were the first people made, right? Elijah does. He does. You see, God told Adam and Eve to have dominion over the world, and he gave them the ability to do so. You know, before the man, all of nature was under Adam's rule. Animals obeyed his voice, and he was the king of the earth. But when man sinned and rebelled against God, nature rebelled against man too. And hasn't stopped rebelling against man. So, all in all, what I want you to understand is that the fact that we have intelligent reasoning, dominion over creation, 
we have the spiritual capacity to know God and have fellowship with him. And our physical appearance distinguishes from animals. It's evidence that we reflect the image of God. But you see what the secular worldview does is try to cover this up. It tries to cover up the truth. The secular worldview gives, you, gives us a, a misconception on how we should treat other humans. You see, the Christian worldview teaches us that we should oppose abortion because God is the creator and the giver of life. We should oppose homosexuality because God created male and female from the very beginning. We should also oppose homosexuality because it's contrary to God's design. Is that no matter how old you are, your physical capabilities, your mental capabilities, your dignity, you're all important to God, no matter what. And you're worth it to him. See, this is why it's so crucial to understand that evolution is more than just a theory on how humanity came to be. See, this theory that's shoved down your throat at school and shown to you is, is, is it's grounded and rooted in a philosophy that seeks to destroy and deny the existence of God. You see, evolution claims that we're merely just animals. And if that's so, then materialism is just what we are. And that there's no God. And we should just follow our instincts. This is why it's so crucial to understand the truths of the Bible and biblical doctrine. Because we are not animals. Some of you may wild out and act like it sometimes, but, you know, we're not animals. We are humans that are uniquely formed by loving and a personal God. And we are an inestimable amount of worth to him. And it's important to understand that while we were created in the image of God, part of that means that, one sec, okay, yeah. It's important to understand that we're created in, in, in the image of God. And part of that means that we were originally created without sin. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God, that not only separated them from God, it separated their descendants from God. And their descendants are us. But God loved us so much, and he desired fellowship with us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And so that by placing our trust in him, we could once again have fellowship with him. So because of this, what should we do? First thing is this, live in relationship with him. I don't know what he means. You see, we need to understand that the greatest truth that we could know is that we ourselves are sinners and that we need God's grace. We are inherently bad and without God's grace and him giving himself through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, there's no other possible way that we can be in fellowship with him. 
John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, God loves us, and he offered us the free gift of forgiveness for our sins. And all that we have to do is accept that gift. And he's offering that gift to you today. Next thing is this. Live according to his principles. We have to, we must allow God's truth to govern our thoughts and our actions. You know, lots of us Christians, we have, there's a disconnect in what we do on Sunday in church and in Sunday school than what we do throughout the week. But this shouldn't be the case. This is why consistency is important. You see, if we claim to be Christians, then we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. Constantly demonstrating the truth in how we live and how we talk to people. And in that, the world and all everything around it should see God through us. You cannot be in right fellowship with God and you cannot live for his glory if you're not living in accordance to his word. Next thing is to live in accordance with your creator's purpose. Understand this. God did not need man. He did not need to create us. But Isaiah 43.7, it tells us that God created us for his own glory. That tells us that we are not only significant, but we are important to God. See, our purpose in life shouldn't be to glorify ourselves which is narcissism, it should be to seek out the glory of God instead of our greatest pleasures. According to Scripture, God creates mankind in a perfect state with the desire and intention of us having perfect fellowship with him. But what sin did when it came into our lives was make us selfish. It made us selfish. It directed us to our own desires instead of giving our love and desire and our attention to God. You see, when we come to Jesus and we allow him to restore our fellowship with God, we can once again live in accordance to his purpose. And since we were created for God's glory, our greatest amount of joy and fulfillment is to be found in having a right relationship with him and glorifying him through our lives. 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, for God's glory. I'm going to say that again. 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. We can go home right on that right there. Do everything for God's glory. That means that everything we do, everything we say, everything we, we go out and do and how we treat others, do that for the glory or do that for God's glory. 
The last thing is this. Live to advance God's kingdom. This means making the kingdom of God known and have letting, letting the kingdom of God known and his righteousness make that the central and most dominant focus of your life. God needs to be in the center of your life, in the center of all you do, in the center of your family, in the center of your relationships. He needs to be in the center of all you do. And this includes telling others about him. So knowing all that you know about humanity, knowing that we are all sinners in need of God's grace, and knowing that Jesus is the only cure to the sin in our heart. Knowing all these things, you and I have a major responsibility. And that responsibility is to go and tell others that they can know who their creator is. Not only that, they can know how to live in harmony with his divine purpose for their lives. So if you've never known who Jesus Christ is, if you've never come to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and if you've never placed at your trust and eternal life in him, I just want you to know that God loves you. God created you for his eternal purpose. God wants you to have fellowship with him through his son, Jesus. And by doing this, you can overcome sin and be restored in right relationship with God. And there's no way to be in fellowship with God without Jesus. John 14, 6. It says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. The only true way that you can restore the fellowship that you have with God isn't through anything that you see on TV. It isn't through your friends. You may have friends that you know that go to church. It isn't through them. The only way that you can truly come to Jesus, you can only come by yourself. And that's what he wants from you today. Let's pray out together. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time now that we have to come together and uh, worship you, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's someone in this room struggling internally with their sins, struggling with who they are and feel like they don't have a purpose and feel like they're here for no reason or they know someone that feels like there's no, they're here for no reason. I just pray that you show them and reveal to them in their lives that they have a purpose. They're here for a reason. Thank you, God, for all you've done for us and all that you're going to do, Lord. We love you.
We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give it up for Hunter Bruce. All right, come on. All right, come here, Hunter. Come here, Hunter. All right, let me, like, let's see.